I can be who it says I can be. Today, I will be taught the indestructible, incorruptible word of God. My mind is alert. My heart is receptive. My ears are open. And I will not go to sleep. I'll never be the same. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so we are in a series of talking about promotion, right? We're talking about promotion. And as I was thinking about this, I wanted to call this high five, you know, high five. So just give your neighbor and all your friends high five. Give me a high five right now. Yeah, there you go. See what I'm saying? You know what it is. And so it is said that a fool, a fool learns from his own mistakes, but a wise man learns from the mistakes of others. To me, a wise man also learns from the success of others. Not just the failures, but the success of others. So in looking at this process of promotion, I set out to study a person. You know, study a person who I had observed being promoted in their natural life, in their spiritual life, and hoping just to kind of get clues on how I can grow in my own life. You know what I mean? Because you, you have to observe people who are doing well if you want to do better. So I had to try and find somebody that I could look at and say, okay, God, where can I do better? So I have settled on teaching us five observations I've noticed and believe that if we practice these five observations, we too will have similar results. Now, why I say similar results is because we may not all believe for the very same thing. Faith is faith. But what your desire is may be different from what my desire is. What God has put in your heart may be different from what he's put in my heart. So our results may not be exactly the same because our desires may differ. Make sense? All right. So this is not, it's not unusual to be a copycat. In the Bible, you know, Elisha followed Elijah. You know, with Joshua followed Moses. You know, we see this pattern of, of duplication. So I was reading an article on businessinsider.com and one of the habits of the very rich includes mentors, having mentors. So the author, his name is something, something Corley. He said, successful mentors do more than simply influence your life in some positive way. They regularly and actively participate in your success by teaching you what to do and what not to do. They share with you valuable life lessons they learned either from their own mentors or from the school of hard knocks. So as a pastor, I get the chance to have access to some of what I believe are the world's best mentors. I've been, I'm connected to some of the greatest women and men I think this, this planet has ever you know, encountered. So, but I want to talk to you from what the, what the one mentor I find that is most significant, the life of Pastor Eben. No, he did not know I was doing this. So he has been the single most influential person in my life. Single most influential, consistent person in my life. And so I have gotten to know him now going on 26 years. And I've observed him and I find that there's some things that he's doing 26 years later from the first time I met him. He was doing it then. The same thing. And there's something, there's something to that. There's something to that. So 
Having observed him for this time, I believe that you too can learn something from his life. You know, he, he doesn't get the chance to really tell you a lot of stuff about him because he's not going to boost himself. But I can boost him. So he, you know, has a background in business, he'll tell you. But we owned a barbershop, and our barbershop was very successful. Within six months, we had grossed $100,000. So we're not talking about an idiot here. We're talking about a very brilliant person, a very smart person, a very wise person. But you can be smart in your brain and dumb in your character. And that yields a totally different result. Or you can be like him and just wait your season and wait your time. And so there's some things that I observed and I know if I do better at these things, my whole trajectory would change. I'm just telling you, some of them I do. One of them I'm steadily working on doing. (laughs) And I pray that some of you will make better decisions than I have and kind of follow him in these things. But before, before I tell you what those five things are, I want to share with you the single most important lesson that he taught me. Now, he's t- taught me many lessons. When you live with a junior Holy, Holy Spirit, you get many lessons, okay? But there's one lesson that really, it, when I tell you it really changed my life, it changed my whole life. I went to Bible school for three whole years. I have a master's degree in some something stuff with the Bible. I got all of that. I could have skipped all of that stuff for real and just learned this one lesson. So I need you to take sure, make sure you're taking notes today. All right. So I'm not going to hoop and holler for y'all today because first of all, I'm sleepy. I'm just kidding. (laughs) But because this is just the way I know God wants me to go. The thing that he taught me that changed my life was how the Bible interprets itself. And I'm going to teach that to you. Why is that important? Because when people are ministering, if you do not know this, you can be easily deceived. You can hear other doctrines and other false heresies and don't know it and just believe it. But because we are word of truth family church, we believe in teaching you the word and his word is truth. If you can get this cue, no matter who is preaching... Who is teaching? That thing switches on to your discernment and you go, wait, hold on, what? I am not moving back to Israel. I am not just reading the blue letter Bible. What what is that? Okay, so I'm going to tell you how to do that. You ready? So, how the Bible interprets itself. Three ways. One, in the verse. The Bible interprets itself in the verse. For example, John 3.16 We know that scripture. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him would not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. So within the verse, if I was to say to you, how do you get everlasting life? What did the verse tell you? Believe in the son. Right? All right. So we don't need any kind of degree to interpret that. The Bible interpreted itself right there in that verse. We don't need any further research. You want to get eternal life? Believe in the Son. All right? Number two, in the context. So if you're reading a scripture and it's one of those scriptures like Jesus wept. Well, why did he cry? What was going on? You have to know, explore the context. 
where in the context, where's the background information that is giving us uh, interpretation for this verse? Okay, now we're going to look at like the book of Mark chapter 4. And it's a long chapter, so I won't read it for you. But this is the parable of the sower, and he went to sow the seed. And it said some fell on good ground, some fell on stony ground. Remember that scripture? All right, well, then there's a break in there. There's a break. So it begins to tell, Jesus tells this parable, and then there's a break. And the disciples are talking and so on. Well, if you stop at that break then now you can make up your own thing. Well, the stony ground means, well, it's wicked people. So when the word falls on wicked people, they don't receive it. You know, and it, when it falls on good ground, it means that, you know, those are children because children's hearts are so pure. You can make up your own thing if you don't keep reading. So you go through the context and in the context, it explains Jesus says, the stony ground is the, you know, the people whose hearts are hardened and they, the word goes and it cannot take root. And then good ground is this. It explains, but you have to read all the way through that chapter to get the full interpretation of that scripture. Making sense to you? So first in the verse, second in the context, right? So this, I'm telling you, it helps me because when somebody is speaking or teaching you, and they are telling you scriptures and they're saying to you, these are scriptures relating to health, but they're really in the context of money. You go, what? <laughs> Player, please. No, read, read the word, read the word. You'll never be deceived again. I'm telling you, you pick it up. Doesn't mean that the person, you can't take the whole message. It means you have a different understanding and you receive from it. Right? Doesn't mean that you go around judging them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you didn't do it in the context. Okay. No. But it makes sure that you understand for yourself. The last thing, and I love this one, is in previous usage. First in the verse. Second in the context. Third in previous usage. And I love this one because this one creates the most, you know, chaos. All right. So in the book of Second Corinthians 12, Paul talks about there's this thorn, a a messenger of Satan that was given to him as a thorn in the flesh to buffet him, right? Now, many preachers preach that or many teachers teach that and say, well, it was a sickness. Maybe short, maybe, you know, Paul had a limp. You know, maybe he was too short. Maybe he was, you know, overeducated. There was just something that was coming at him. We make up these things and they tell you. I've heard it said, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh is. So when you don't know, you decide to make it up. You can't make it up. This is holy scripture. So this, the verse doesn't tell you what the thorn in the flesh is, right? Doesn't tell you, you know, it says a buffeter of, I mean, a messenger of Satan was sent, a thorn in the flesh. All right. So he tells you a messenger of Satan, thorn in the flesh. Okay. Not really making much sense. The context don't help you either. When you read that whole context, you're like, okay, wow, no brighter. So you have to go to previous usage. Where was this phrase, thorn in the flesh, used before? And thorn in the flesh was used several times before. It was used in uh, Joshua 23, 13. It was used in Hosea 2, 6. You can check out Numbers 33, 55 and Ezekiel 28, 24. Joshua 23, 13, Hosea 2, 6, 
Numbers 33:55, Ezekiel 28:24. When you look at previous usage, you find out that thorn in the flesh are people who persecuted the Israelites and tried to hinder them from the plan of God. So no, it's not a sickness. It's not a boil on his forehead. It's not 10 pimples on his toes. No, it's just people trying to oppose him from fulfilling the call of God. Period. That was the most significant lesson that he taught me. When he taught me that, then I was able to govern the um, lessons accordingly and make sure that whenever I'm teaching, I'm not teaching heresy or just making things up or grabbing scriptures to prove my point. No, my I'm supposed to conform to scripture, not scripture conform to me. You understand? I'm not supposed to just pick a topic out of the sky and then find every scripture to support my belief. My belief is supposed to be altered by the scripture. Are you with me? So I want us to know this because there are times that people will say something to you. And if you don't know, it's not scriptural. It's just opinion. Now, when the scripture says, you know, no lying, no, you know, backbiting, no, that's scripture. That's not interpretation, but that's scripture. All right. So back to Pastor Evan, back to Pastor Evan. So here's the five things I've observed from his amazing life. The first thing is. He is disciplined. Maybe it's because he is the son of a military man. Whatever it is, he is disciplined. He has a daily routine. And like I said, I met this young man back in 1992. And he always wore suits. Like these olive green suits. I mean, he had every green suit. Olive green, hunter green, bright green, a mustard green I mean, he only wore one color. Sharp is here. He can testify. Yes, he only wore green. Mm-hmm. I have a witness. And, but he would crease his little pants. I mean, when I tell you those pants could walk by themselves. He put so much starch in that stuff. Boy, you could just like, cut yourself. With how, I mean, he was always together. This guy here was amazing. But outside of that, in the dark, Every morning at 5 a.m., if you got up, I was not consistent, but I did get up a couple of times and see him. <laughs> I'm just saying, like I said, there's some lessons I'm still learning. And you would see him walking up and down the street, or he'd be over by the banana area, or he'd be over there by the pool, fully dressed at 5 a.m. Praying, praying. Then after he left that walking journey that he was walking all the time, he'd be up on the balcony area. We had this uh, cafeteria area reading his Bible. He still does that today. But instead of 5, it's 4 a.m. Because he wakes Landon up at 6.15 or 6.30. So the same two-hour block of spending time with himself never changed. When he used to take heaven to school, it used to be the same thing. What am I saying? He lives a disciplined life. He has a daily routine. And Mike Murdoch says, the success of your future is hidden in your daily routine. The book of Daniel 6.10 says this, Daniel prayed three times a day. He had a daily spiritual routine. And it was this routine in the book of Daniel that came under attack. But it was the same routine that got him promoted to the political arena, being one of the greatest influencers in the Assyrian kingdom. 
Daniel 2.48 says, Then the king made Daniel a great man and gave him many gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief of the governors over all the wise men of Babylon. He had corporate success. Why? Because he had a spiritual discipline. We want to look at corporate success and get corporate disciplines. Oh, you know, I'm submitting to my corporate mentor. I'm doing this on my job. But Daniel gives us an example of someone who was in a secular arena. But his his success did not come because of his corporate discipline. It became because of his relationship with God. So I dare propose to you and to myself, where can we become more disciplined in our daily spiritual routine with God? When he makes a decision, he's deciding to put to death one thing for another. He's putting to death the need for sleep. He's putting to death the need for comfort. He's putting to death the need for his body being exhausted for God. Where I know I don't. I know I have to do better. This is why I'm talking to us today. Because I would rather sleep than get up. So I'd rather do my worship stuff way at night when I'm already up. But the truth is some of that is just laziness. It is. I'm not saying I'm proud of it. I'm just telling you. But he has a, it's not like we have different hours in the day. We have the same hours. But he has gone. I've seen God promote him because he lives as if God is real. God is so real to him. He's going, I am not compromising on this. I will not back down on this. I must have time with God. And he has two times. Yes, he has his own personal time and then he has study time. So he spends a lot of time with that. I'm not saying you need to have two hours. Like I said, he had a job and was doing the two hours. I don't know how he do. I don't know how he do what he do. I'm just saying, if he can do it, we can do it. The next thing is, so he's disciplined. He's determined. Now, some people may say that, um, you call it stubborn. The new word would be leadership, right? <laughs> oh, before I go to that, you can write down this, that your everyday, your everyday um, decisions will impact your tomorrow. In other words, my life today is really based on a whole lot of yesterday's decisions. And my life 10 years from now is going to make, be based on a whole lot of decisions I start from today. So today we can start, right? So he's determined. He's determined. So if, let's say he's a determined disciple. I found that he has um, several commitments, but I have narrowed down two determinations. One. Pastor Eben or Eben is determined to be an example to believers and to other people. First Timothy 4.12 says this, be an example to the believers in what you say, in the way you live, in the way you love, in your faith, and in your purity. This means that he makes certain choices. He doesn't hang around people who don't help him become an example to the believers so he doesn't hang around people who don't have faith those are not his close friends 
He don't hang around people who don't love people. That's not his close friends. And he certainly don't hang around people who are perverse. He doesn't have friends caught up in pornography. He doesn't have friends that are cheating on his wife, their wives. He doesn't have friends who are flirting with other people. He doesn't have friends who, what, you know, what, his best friend can't even watch a, you know, he nearly freaked out in a little movie the other day. They, were, they went to go watch um, Mad Max. You remember that movie, Mad Max? Okay, well, one of his other friends were dragging the two of them there. The friend shall be named Nameless until he comes here. And so, you know, Evan's just going with him because Evan doesn't even survive a movie without falling asleep. All right, let's just start there. So it don't matter what movie, he's going to sleep. So he, he don't care. But poor little Pastor James could not make it through five minutes of that movie. He's like, oh, I feel demons. Demons are coming all over here. I need to go. I can't handle it. That's his best friend. So, you know, his best friend going to be like, no, Evan, we don't do that, though. We're not going to go there, you see? What friend are you hanging around? Are they helping supply your your liquor? Are they helping supply your weed? Are they helping supply your magazines? Are they giving you a little code? Are they helping supply uh, foolishness in your life? Man, you don't need to give her your password. She don't need to be able to know what's on your text. What are they supplying to you? Be you an example to the believers because believers need examples too. Not just unbelievers, but believers need to know a way to live. And so he is determined to be a believer. And so it's not about if he's popular or cool with other people. It's about if he's popular with God. So consistently and constantly, I see Eben make an unpopular choice. He may lose opportunities Because he's not the little suck-up, networking kind of person. He's in your face. You don't like it? He tell it anyway. He doesn't play games. He's not going to trick you. He just doesn't do none of that. He doesn't even know how to do it. I want to challenge us to be an example to to the believers. Determine. He's determined to live a life of faith and patience. By also following those who live a life of faith and patience. He is never in a rush, trust me. Period. We're like, oh my goodness, baby, please move faster. Come on. Like we're going on a flight. And we'd be like, why? Why? Why are you taking your sweet time? You woke up 10 hours before everybody else? I mean, you ought to be ready. You know, but you know, he just take his little time. Take his little time. He always calls himself a late what? Bloomer. Because he's never in a rush to go ahead of his season. He truly is not. I am always in haste. Like skip seasons, Jesus. Just just be me. Be me like five seasons ahead. And he's always like, you, you can go on. I'm going to take my time right here. And normally I go and have to come back back, babe. I shouldn't have done it. He goes, I tried to tell you though. I know, I know, I know. Okay. <laughs> If you just follow me, I'll lead you to the promised land. It'd be greater later, sweet. It'd be greater later. I'll be like, I want greater now. I want greater now. Greater now. <laughs> I've seen him pass up so many opportunities when we were building this building. So many churches that he could buy. You know, places that we could buy. But in, he goes, no. Even though it looked like people were running ahead. People were getting theirs first. 
You know, things were doing well for them. And we're like, why we keep getting nose? Why we keep getting nose? He didn't care. I'm over here like hot like tomatoes. Like, Lord, you know, we have been okay. We've been through this. No, 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 no. Didn't move him. He was not moved by what other people were doing. Or the success or lack of success. He didn't care. He was running his race in his time. I pray we can be determined to live a life of faith and patience. Wait our season. He's not easily intimidated by people. Three, he is confident. Confident. He has this unusual ability to not care. Like period. You know, so sometimes he does this at a fashion show for us at home. Yeah, he does. He has his own fashion show. We have to play music and everything. Like legitimately, we have to put on the music because he has to have an entrance. Okay, I know you don't see that side of him. I'm just telling you. But he's weird, you know. And so we all sit up on the coach and we just wait the grand entrance, you know. And he has certain songs, you know, thing. And then he comes out. And he'll try on the same outfit and change the socks. And you're supposed to notice the socks have changed. Or he changed their pocket square. We'll be on to you. You didn't know that was a different blue? Babe, we just went through six different blues. Yeah, but this blue is between blue and green. Did you notice? Does it work better? And then, in the end, when we say, yeah, we like that one. You know what he does? It don't matter what we said. Whatever one he likes, he's going to wear anyway. Sometimes he is going out in full. If you've been to the office, he is out in full Jordan gear. Like he has on the red hat, the red shirt, the red pants, the red shorts, the red shoes. I'm like, babe, you are like the walking, living blood of Jesus. Break up the color. He goes, I don't care. I didn't dress for y'all. I didn't dress for y'all. He truly don't care. He's so confident in himself. He is sure of who he is. So he's detached himself from the approval or criticisms of others. So that he can maintain his approval rating with God. Criticisms don't bother him. He doesn't change what he's doing because you criticize him. Because you're, he's trying to, you're trying to, you know, please him. He don't care. You know, I, I, whether you talk about him or mock him or applaud him. He taught me this. He said, sweet, you can't preach for the applause of people. Because I was. Oh, Yes. If you didn't applaud and shout and jumping all over here, I would think to myself, I am not being effective. You did not hear me. You know, I did not preach the word well. I didn't do a good job. And he said, if you do it that way, you'll try to manipulate the audience. I'm tell- I-, I tell you, I live with the junior Holy Ghost, y'all plain. And I had to learn to fast that need of approval out of me by watching him preach if nobody clapped he goes but i did what god asked me that's it i want us to learn from that in 1994 when we first got married we got the revelation from god individually he spoke about that last week that we would move to arlington texas that we would live here we had visions and stuff we had so many things that confirm in our life what we were doing so when we first got married that we would live in arlington Years later, when it came time to plant our church, we were looking to run away from Arlington. We wanted to go to other states. I especially wanted to go to Florida or Arizona. That was where I was trying to go. Yeah, because it was just all about me. And um, (laughs) 
And we explored other states and then we explored other cities like the north. You know, we were over there in Louisville and we're driving all over the place. You know, because it's easier to just start new. You know, than to stand in the place where you don't want to be. Than to face a giant that you don't want to deal with. You know, you, you know, to, than to stay where it's familiar. Just start over. Go somewhere. You know, be like cheers where nobody knows your name. But oh no, 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 no. Not, not, not past heaven. Not past heaven. God's instruction to build in Arlington, to plant a church in Arlington, didn't change because our circumstances had changed. It had nothing to do with our circumstance. It had to do with what God had said. So it didn't matter what giants he was going to have to slay. It didn't matter who he was going to have to face. It didn't matter if people were going to tear us down and bully us or extradite us or cheer us on or applaud us. It, that was irrelevant. God wanted us here and we had to be here. Period. Full stop. End of story. Do you have that kind of grit? Because the success will never come your way if you cannot handle the criticisms of other people. You will never grasp promotion in your hand if you cannot deal with the whispering of other people. If your skin is not thick enough to obey God and do what he has assigned you to do, regardless of what other people are saying, you will never reach that next level because you will set your heart on pleasing them and not pleasing God. You cannot let people intimidate you. You cannot let people bully you. You cannot let criticism stop you. He set his face like a a flint. He picked up his little stones. And he's confrontational. He ran toward Goliath. He didn't care in Bible college. He got persecution in Bible college. He didn't care. Same Eben then, same Eben now. He always tell me, I am like the Lord, I changeth not. Then he'll say, if you will obey me and keep my commandments. (laughs) 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 I just have one more. Okay. So he can stand alone. Can you stand alone with God? Or do you have to get people on your side? He can make the unpopular righteous choice. It's happy hour. Why you have to go? You know you don't want to go. You don't even want to go. But you don't want to be the fuddy-duddy in the job. You don't want anybody to criticize you and say, Oh, you know she's just always saved. You take that like it's a bad thing. You take it like it's a, like it's a, like it's a, a thing to look down on. You know how you are. You're going to be holy. Ah, uh, hello. Yeah. You think? It's been working for me so far. Why stop now? He is generous. He is generous. Our family motto is live to give and we give to live. That is what we do. The generous soul shall be made rich, the Bible says in Proverbs eleven twenty five. And you know, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, he's like my hero. I know it's not Father's Day, but this is just what I feel like doing. Because I know my life is the better. And as the mom, I need to teach you about the dad. The Bible says, you know what? Bind the teachings of your mother and your father around your neck. And they will keep you. So I got to teach you some of the things because he won't teach about himself. So I got to tell you. So he gives all the time. And I would get upset. I've grown now. I don't get upset now. 
But he would give and give and give. And then, of course, the people have um, selective amnesia. You know about that? Generous amnesia. You bless them. You help them. You pay their bills. You visit them. You drive out of state for them. You do this for them. You do that for them. And then all of a sudden, you didn't say hi to them this week. And now they're offended. And they go tell the whole world and forgot that you paid for their vacation. You paid for their cell phone. You paid for their house note. You paid for their kids' school. You paid for the... No, no, they forget all of that. They don't tell none of that. Oh, they forget. Quick and in a hurry and I would go over here and be like hold up babe no we need to defend ourselves and tell everybody they were in foreclosure babe we helped them babe 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 I cooked for them babe what and he's like sweet but if we give with strings attached it's not really giving I'm like Give because you're going to give, not because you're going to get. Being generous. And God is keeping tabs. But Eben don't. So you and I don't need to keep tabs. Well, you know, I lent you my, uh, my Parrex dish four weeks ago. You know, because I tell that to people. I say, you're not going to get no more food from me till you bring back my dish. <laughs> I'm tired of buying these dishes. Generous. We have to live a generous life. Don't, you don't, he doesn't get offended because he doesn't keep score. Stop keeping score on your husband. Stop keeping score on your wife. Well, I did this. I did that. I washed the dishes. I do this. I do that. I do that. What did you do? No, if you're going to be a giver, be a giver. He honors. Evan lives a life of honor. Ephesians 6.1 tells us to honor our father and our mother that our days may be long. And maybe I introduced this to him. I mean, he's always respectful and honoring towards his parents. That's true. But in our culture, well, what I was kind of taught or whatever was the minute you just kind of start making money, you bless your parents. So I've always done it from maybe the first year of our life. Like I would send money to my dad. He don't need the money. I just send it because it's just part of honor. But we also have spiritual parents. That we honor. So how do you honor someone? You honor someone by how you serve. Serving means how you consider them. Right? We consider. Okay, if something is going on, if, if, you know, if something is broken in our parents' house, then look, we're going to be the ones to step up to do it. We're going to be the ones to help fix it. Right? Same thing with our spiritual parents. We're going to serve. Say what you say about them. You honor somebody by what you say about them. All right? So we can know how you honor your husband or your wife by what you say. All right? How you sow, how you bless them, how you bless them, how you stand, how you stand up for them or you stand down when they're being attacked. And how you submit, how you listen to them. Bishop Hilliard is our main pastor, as you know, and Pastor Robert is a spiritual dad to us. So between those two. But Pastor Evan is accountable. When he asks them for advice, which he does, he trusts them and does exactly what they say. He don't argue back. I've never heard him on the phone. Bishop, I'm not doing that. Bishop, that don't make no sense to me. Pastor Robert, really? No, no, that's good for you. That's not going to work for me though. I've never heard that. I've heard, if that's what you tell me, that's what I'm going to do. Okay, yes, Bishop, I got it. Don't have to tell me twice. 
Because God will cover him if his leadership is wrong. Because they're not going to intentionally tell him to do something wrong. Or intentionally tell him to do something. They're not going to tell him to do something on Bible, you know, on biblical. So he can trust in their relationship with God. So therefore he doesn't go back and forth. He honors them. So who do you listen to? Who do you follow? And where are they going exactly? Some of the success that we are missing isn't because it's not our season. It's because we're not submitted. In talking about promotion, I have seen God elevate Eben. And I put myself in there, but really him in front of his enemies. There's some enemies you are trying to fight when you shouldn't even need to fight them. You just keep living the word of God. God will fight that battle for you. I've seen God promote him from the back stages to the front stages. And he's still the same person. He don't get any bigger head. He don't get no smaller head. He, you know, he's just the same. And God wants to do the same thing for you. In spite of people plotting against you and want to tear you down. and No, no, no. Set your face like a flint. Put your heart towards God. Be disciplined. Be generous. Live a life of honor. Make sure your character can stand up. Is he perfect? No, but kind of close. Little close. You know, little close. What can we do better? How can we wait with faith and patience? Can we do better at needing the approval of other people? Can we make a better effort in honoring those that God has put in our life? So I want to ask you as we close, what could be hindering your promotion? Is there anything there that you know you could do better? You're like, Pastor Sarah, I can, I can see that. People see the wealth and the, the, the anointing on his life. That's the outward manifestation of all his internal disciplines you're seeing. What you see as the blessed life Starts in the shadows where nobody sees. And sticking with what you know to do is right. Even when everything is going wrong. With every head bowed and every eye closed. If you're here today and you have never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. I want to give you the opportunity to do that. To make a choice. And make a disciplined choice. A choice that, Lord, I want to live a successful life, a promoted life. Because of your love for me, I want to commit my life to you. I know you're trustworthy. I can place my life in your hands. If you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior, I want to give you that opportunity. I also want to give you the opportunity to recommit your life. Some of you need to recommit your life to God. But some of you, like me, need to recommit your life to the process. Not necessarily to God because your heart is there. But to make in a disciplined choice to consistently do the right thing as much as is within you. So if that's you, or you want to join Word of Truth Family Church, we're a church that believes in the Word. I know it's a little bit different today, but we talk about Moses and we talk about Joshua 
When we talk about Jacob, when we talk about these great fathers in the faith, I wanted to talk about a great father in the faith, a living person that we can see and touch right now in living color. I wanted to talk about my father in the faith, Evan. So if that's you and you want to recommit your life to the process, recommit your life to God, or accept Jesus Christ as your personal Lord Savior, you want to get baptized or join this church. At the count of three, I just want you to raise your hand.